This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hi, welcome to this qualification meeting. I'm a food addict from California, and I'm your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I've got some pictures to pass around. I'll start with that. I, um, when I was asked to, to speak today, I went to look for my pictures, and I couldn't find them. And um, so I had to go back and look at my pictures, and it's really hard for me to look at those. I, um, when I came in and got after I got my 90 days, I, I didn't want. I went to where we have the pictures, and I just opened up the box, and it was so painful for me. I just like picked the first few fat pictures, and closed the box, and that's what I used. And then my husband got in the program later, and one day he's into that stuff and he call, he called me and he goes Jan I'm looking at these pictures and I've got some uh, really great fat pictures of you and uh, I don't know why he was so excited but I said great and I took those pictures and I used them for years and recently I don't know what happened but I can't find my pictures so the other day I had to go in the box and look at pictures and I just I stalled for a few days because I didn't want to look at them and so I sat there and I went through a bunch and it was just horribly painful. I was 150 pounds heavier than I am today and um, I had two young kids and I looked at the pictures and everything was around food. Everything. We were hiking out in the middle of the mountains in Northern California. It was around food and um, you know whatever event. I played a lot of tennis but I, I think in my mind I thought I was thin. And, but I just looked and it was just painful. So um, I ended up calling my daughter. She was downstairs, so I picked some up and asked her to come upstairs. And I said, will you look at these and pick three or four? And she looked and she just said, oh, mom. And then she said, I don't even remember. What happened is, I'll go back and start my story, is that I started in, um, in, 12-step food programs back in 1981 and um, I got abstinent however they defined abstinence and I lost weight as about 20 pounds heavier than I am now but that was great I thought I had arrived and um, and so I was in the program for about five years and then I met my husband and fell in love and um, we got married and but just I thought I had met him. I thought he was a normal person, but on our first date, 
he told me he had just lost 100 pounds on a medically supervised liquid diet. And um, so I kind of knew that I probably had, I didn't know the name food addict at the time, but I knew that we probably came from the same problem. And um, anyway, as we dated and got ready to get married, I was still pretty uh, rigid with my food. And what I would do is, you know, I had to eat a certain kind of food by a certain time. And, and, uh, and I remember one time we were rushing to a, a, a restaurant to eat because I wanted to eat a certain kind of food by a certain time. And by the time we sat and got our food, I remember he said to me, is it always going to be this way? And the thought came to me of, no, I've been in this program about five years. I can probably loosen it up. And at that point, I started changing my what was then my food plan. And um, what happened is I started to gain weight, about 10 pounds a year. Anyway, uh, to go back just a little in my history, I was um, one of four kids, and I was the fat person, the fat kid in my family. And my brothers and sisters were not overweight at the time when we were growing up, and um, there was a lot of focus on me and my weight. And so that was a lot. It seemed like a lot of the subject of the family, of my, my father, and um, he was very bothered by it. So was my grandmother very bothered by it. And that was pretty much... It seemed like a lot of focus was on Jan and her weight. And um, so that's how I grew up. It's just, it was always, they were always working on me to change the way, you know, to lose weight. I was offered prizes and toys and, you know, trips and whatever. And if I ever could get my weight down, then I would get them. But then, as we all know, you know, I was eating as soon as I arrived at whatever the goal was, and then I was back to to the weight, you know, being fat again. The challenge was, when I look back, is I wasn't trying to be bad. I was not trying to be bad, and I was always in trouble for it. But, I mean, I look back, and I was just like, I can remember when I was three, four, and five, almost like when I wasn't almost capable of thinking, I'm going to go be bad and take some food. It was just something in me that I wanted the food. And it was interesting because my brothers and sisters were the same way, but I was the only one that was fat. And I'm sure like most of us, whenever my mom brought stuff in the house, she would hide it in the freezer. But we all knew. And so as soon as it came in and she was gone, we all raided it and got it. But I was the only one that showed being fat. And, um, and then I was teased a lot. And, and, um, and then the other part of it that went along is I never felt like I, I quite belonged. I always wanted to be thin and um, so in groups social groups that was you know if I could be thin I was going to be okay and um, you know was, so a lot of times I became one thing for me is I became the jokester you know the class clown or um, the other thing is I was um, I had different groups but I never felt like I belonged in one so I could be friends with the smart kids but I didn't really want to be smart or do the work to be smart. And I could be with the troublemakers, but I wouldn't quite go as far into the trouble as they did. I would keep back a little bit, but I would hang with them. i do enough trouble to be accepted by them. And then there was like the cheerleader crowd, and, but I wasn't cute enough to be a cheerleader, cheerleader, but I was friends with them. So I kind of was in all these different groups, but I never really belonged. I remember even... Um, 
I had one teacher come to me in grammar school. I think I was in sixth grade. And I got a report card, and I think I had C's on it, maybe some, maybe D's and C's, I don't know. And she said, uh, you know, this is okay for you because you're not as smart as your brother or sister. And, um, and that's kind of, they're really smart. And I, the message I got is you're kind of just an average dummy. And so don't worry about it because you're doing okay. And I remember thinking, forget her. And I studied really hard. And the next semester, I got all A's. And then I thought, okay, I did it. And I put the clutch in, and I went back to getting C's again. It was like, okay, I did that. I don't have to worry anymore. I'm not dumb. And, um, but I never had the focus. And, you know, my brother and sister went on to go to college and go to graduate school. And um, I thought be more successful in life than me. <laughs> um, but that's not, you know, the horse race isn't over yet. And... Um, uh, but I just never belonged. I was always just in this, this place, and, um, but always fighting my weight. And I remember I went to an elementary school, and then I was to go to a private um, girls' school that was not in my hometown. It was a bus ride about an hour away each way to and from school. And so I remember thinking the summer between eighth grade and high school, I was going to lose weight, and then things would be different in high school. They wouldn't know I was fat. And I would be an in-person. So, um, of course, I didn't lose my weight. And I went to that high school. And, again, that was when I was in all the different groups. And, um, but never felt like I belonged. And I didn't have a boyfriend. And that just made me feel horrible. And um, so then it got to my mom saying, don't worry. It'll be different when you go away to college, Jan. It'll just be different. And so I was always taught I was going away to college. And I thought the same thing. I'll lose weight before I get to college, and they'll never know I was a loser. And um, although I don't really think now I was a loser, but I did at the time, I'm going to go away, and I'm gonna, it's going to be different. And so, you know, I was able to lose a little bit of weight before I went to college and um, went away to college and did that and did what I was supposed to do, joined a sorority, and I remember uh, just feeling awful. And the night that they, whatever, you're coming out, as a sorority, you know, I went through the ceremony, and then across the street was another sorority house, and a girlfriend I had grown up with and went, uh, was a year older than me in school. She was in the sorority house across the street. And as soon as the ceremony was over, it was going on in all the sororities, I went over to her sorority and got her, and I just looked at her, and she looked at me, and she knew I was falling apart. And we went, and she said, what's up? And I just started crying. I said, Susie, I still feel horrible. I hate it. I hate everything. It's just like it was in high school. It's just like it was in grammar school. And she goes, I know, come on. And we went out to eat. She goes, treats on me. And um, so I remember she had her dad's credit card. She was um, from a pretty wealthy family. And she goes, come on, let's get in the car and go. And we went. We left all the parties that night. And we went to eat. And then after that, we went to drink. And um, just like we did in high school. And um, so I guess that I just that's my story of always wanting to belong if I could lose the weight, I would. If I got the weight off, it was always right back on. And uh, the other thing I believed is the other reason I was such a freak, and that's how I felt, was because I was tall. And I was about this tall in high school. And so um, I just thought I'm big and I'm fat and, and I'm a big presence. And um, I couldn't ever hide because there was a lot of me. So... Uh, I went away to college, and I came back to 
uh, Southern California and got a job, got my first job. And every job I had, I didn't, it didn't work out. I didn't belong. I didn't fit. And so I would quit that job to get the next job. It was the same thing. And the next job's going to be better. And it was always in a new place. And, um, and then I'd get to the next job, and it would be bad. And that's how I got from Southern California to Northern California is I got a job. And I came to uh, the town I live in now and to get a job. And I had that for a while, and the same thing happened. All of a sudden, the boss bugged me, and the job bugged me, and I thought, I'm out of here. And um, I hadn't even unpacked the boxes from when I had moved almost two years before. I was in a condo, and um, some of the boxes were still unpacked, and I thought, I'm ready to leave town again, and I haven't even unpacked in this town. And then the other thought was, I had gone to school in Arizona and lived in northern and southern California, and I thought, what am I going to do now? I'm going to have to start going east where it's cold. (laughs) And I didn't want to go where it was cold. And um, I mean, that's how I was picking jobs, was is not for what interested me is like where it's going to be convenient and um and then at the same time i knew somebody and she said you know you're really messed up you really should go see a therapist and she handed me the name of a therapist a card and so i remember thinking oh and then i quit my job i went in and i quit this job because i knew more than the boss and it was a pretty horrible and i sat went back to my condo and i thought what do i do now and then that card was on my coffee table and I thought well I can't call a therapist because I knew if my family knew I was going to a therapist that I would be that they would determine that was crazy they didn't they thought anyone that would use outside help like that was crazy and it was just like at odds I didn't know what to do with my life and I so I called that number and and I went to see that counselor and um, I tried for two years to get off food and drugs and alcohol and we kept working together and at one point she said she couldn't work with me anymore because I was continuing to do those things and I could never get to what was going on unless I could get off that stuff and um, so what happened is I told her I could get off anytime any place and that I didn't have a problem so we had a wager and the wager was that I would get off everything uh, for six months or I would agree to go to a 12-step program. And so I said, you're on, not a problem. And so um, I had left that therapist appointment to go to a party <laughs> given in my honor for my birthday. And, um, and I think it was about three exits off the freeway from where that appointment was to where the party was for the dinner party for me. And as I walked in, I was handed food and and alcohol and and I started to partake and I didn't remember the commitment I had just made to the therapist only three exits on the freeway earlier I had completely forgot and the night went on and it went on until the sun was rising and I remember watching the sun rise and all of a sudden it flashed in my head that promise I had made that I was so I can quit any time any place I do not have a problem. I mean, it was with that attitude. And um, I remember watching that sun come up and remembering the promise and then just tears pouring. And the woman who had the party for me came up and said, what's wrong? And I said, I just have to go. I just have to leave. And I went back to my condo and I remember just laying in bed and crying 
and all that day, and the next day, and the next day was, I think, like a Sunday morning, and I got a call from somebody I knew in the business world, and uh, she said, Jan, I think you've got a problem, and I know where there's a meeting in an hour, and I'll meet you there. And by this time, I thought, how weird. I remember, like, how could she know that, how does she know all this? But all I know is I said, sure, I'll meet you there. And that was the beginning of, that was in 1981, and that was um, the beginning of my venture into dealing with this disease. And so I ended up in Overeaters Anonymous, and that's when I um, had a uh, five years of what they defined was abstinence, and um, that's when I met my husband on my fifth, fifth birthday. And the woman that got me there introduced me to my husband. And um, so that's when I started eating a little bit every year. And um, we got married and had two kids. And with my first baby, that's when my weight really went up. I was kind of gaining 5 or 10 pounds a year, but after when I got pregnant with my first child, I gained, I think, 70 or 80 pounds. I don't know. It was, I, just, I don't even want to know. It was so horrible. And, um, and then I went back to a 12-step food program, and I couldn't get abstinent. I couldn't get abstinent for years, and um, but I kept coming back, and eventually, oh, they, they then they created another 12-step food program, and I went to that, and I got abstinent for a period of time, and as soon as I lost my weight, I got pregnant with my second child, within moments of getting to my goal weight. I got pregnant with my second child, and the exact same thing happened. I gained a million pounds, and... Um, had my second child, and then went back to meetings, and I could never get abstinent again. And I sat in the meetings for years, and almost everyone sponsored me because I would always eat. They'd eventually let me go, and uh, I just kept going back to meetings. And finally, one night, I was sitting in a meeting, and what it was is I'm sure it's, I wanted to eat, and I just said, okay, God, I'm done. I'm done. I don't know what else to do, and I left at halftime and went and got groceries and went home and started eating. And um, I just kept getting fatter and fatter. And you can see in the pictures, that's how I did. That's how well I did is in the pictures. And um, that's when I got to the size 24s that were getting tight. And um, I really, I did think, what am I going to do when I'm out of the 24s? Because that's all the big stores have, a size 24. And then I was hearing someone at a meeting the other day talking about Googling. And I don't know if we had Google back then. <laughs> But you could just Google bigger sizes, and uh, I didn't know there wasn't that, there wasn't that option for me maybe back then. But I know I just kept getting fatter and fatter, and I and people would come up and talk to me that I knew from 12-step food programs, and I would just look at them and say, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to fail anymore. I'm not going, so I don't want to hear about it. And I just figured, I had this good life. I had a husband I loved that loved me. I had these great kids, and I just had this little food problem. Otherwise, my life was good, and I was just going to be fat the rest of my life because there was nothing I could do. I was in denial about how fat I was. So when I look at those pictures, they're just so painful for me because I did not, a lot of us, I just did not, I was in denial about it. And, you know, I do those things where I'd walk by and see myself in a reflection and just about die and then put that out of my mind immediately and only consider myself from here on up. And... um, and I did that for years, and that's how my life was going. And then I, um, 
I ended up getting a blood clot in my leg, and that's what happened. I thought I had just a muscle strain, and I ended up uh, trying to go to a massage therapist to get that worked on, and when I got there, her eyes just got huge, and she called a doctor, and the doctor got me on the phone and said, go straight to your doctor immediately, and I went to my doctor, and I went into his office, and his eyes got huge, and he said, we're walking you to the hospital right now, and um, we think you have a blood clot, and they're going to test, you know, they're going to do what they have to do, and if it is, they're going to be admitted to the hospital immediately. And so you need to go now. And I said, Doctor, I have so many questions. I don't understand this. And he said, well, just right now you've got to go. And he said, I've got something I've got to do, and I've got back-to-school night with my daughter. We knew him. He was a friend. And he said, I'll come to the hospital later tonight, and we'll talk. And I said, okay. And so... um I went and got the test, and I indeed had a blood clot in my leg, and they admitted me to the hospital and started to put me on blood thinners to get my blood thinned out. And I was there all day, and then that night my husband and kids came to the hospital, and um, then eventually the doctor came in, and he grabbed the clipboard, and he was looking at things. We were all talking, and then as he read stuff, his eyes just got bigger again, and he looked up and he said, I need your attention. And... I said, yeah, and he said, we can't get your blood thin. And he said, I'm going to be back. And he went and talked to the nurses and came back, and he said, this is really serious. I cannot get your blood thin, and I don't know if you're going to live through the night. But what he did is he told me in front of my kids, and they were about the ages, a little bit older than the ages of the, uh, that they are in the pictures. And I remember, oh, I just, I remember my husband kind of got the doctor and my son, and Got them out of, kind of got them out of the room, and my daughter just fell apart, and she just began to sob, and um, I couldn't stop her from crying, and she ran and jumped up in the bed with me, and it's one of those where they're crying so bad they're convulsing and they're just sweating, and she's wet and I'm wet, and she's saying, "Mommy, please don't die, just please don't die," and I kept saying, "I'm going to try not to die tonight. I'm going to do my best not to die," and she goes, "No, mommy, you can't die." And she's kind of kicking and screaming, you know, or kicking and not screaming, but just really upset. And I remember the whole time thinking, this is my weight, and there's nothing I can do. I don't know what to do about this. I've tried my whole life. There's nothing I I don't know what to do. And she just kept, you know, Mommy, please don't die, and holding me and just sweating. and, And I remember finally just saying, okay, I promise you I will not die tonight. And as I said that, to calm her down, I knew I was completely powerless. I didn't have a shot over whether I was going to die that night or not. And I thought, Jan, you know, if you die at night, now you're really going to mess her up. And, um, but the fact was it did calm her down, but I didn't know what to do. So I had that head full of knowledge. And, and the other thing I thought of is how selfish can you be is that you can't stay alive for your kids. And that was my thought is, is there anything more selfish than that? I brought these kids into the world. I love them dearly, and I cannot stay off the food to stay alive for them. That's all I could think of. And um, what happened was they eventually got my blood thin, and about four or five days later I went home, and I was on all kinds of medications at that point. And the way our house is, my bedroom's upstairs and the kitchen's downstairs. So for the next week or so, my husband and the kids took care of me. I was supposed to stay in bed with my leg elevated, and um, so that's what I did and they would bring meals to me and whatever I needed and with all that information when they were gone 
I would get out of bed, go downstairs, get food, and come back and eat. So I had that head full of knowledge, and I couldn't stop. And again, I didn't want to be a bad person. I still loved my kids as much as I did, and I couldn't stop eating. And it was just like, you know, what's it going to take? But I knew that God, I knew that God was going to have to do something because I couldn't. And um, so life went on, and I didn't know what to do. I eventually got up. I was on so much medications. I was on, you know, Coumadin, and then I had migraines, so they gave me mood-altering stuff for uh, different kinds of medications to, to compensate for the symptoms I was having. And some of the medications they gave me were for other, th- other symptoms, but they thought, oh, this helps this too. So I was on all these, all these medications and walking around and, and just with no hope. And then I sent for the, um, the medically supervised liquid diet that my husband had done when I met him. And then I sent for the gastric bypass brochure. And um, I, couldn't, I couldn't even read them. So I hid them for a while. I hid them from anybody. I didn't want anyone to see them come into the house. And I, it took me a couple months. And uh, they were always in the back of my mind that those brochures were there. And one day, I think it was summertime when they came, because I remember uh, kids went back to school and my husband went to work. And I had kind of planned that Monday, just like a diet, that Monday I'm going to read those brochures. And on a Monday after they left, I took the brochures out and I read them. And I never read anything, but I read them cover, to, you know, every word on them to kind of study them. And at the end, I thought, they both cost thousands of dollars. One takes out body parts. And at the end, I have to go back to the food. And there's no way. I know what will happen. So here I'll go. I'll go spend thousands of dollars again. I'll get my weight off. But eventually, I'm going to be reintroduced to food. And I knew what the outcome was going to be. So I called a woman that had come into 12-step food program with me back in the 80s and I called her and said what do I do I'm looking at these brochures and I told her what happened and she said are you ready and I said I don't I don't have any hope I thought I was ready the last times and so she said well there's a new one there's a new one out and so if they have a program on Saturday morning and um, it's really early but you, you should go and it's not like the other ones they're really serious you're not going to laugh and have a good time um, and you better get there on time. They're pretty weird about that, too. And uh, so just go. And I said, all right. And she said, so go to a meeting, and if you like it, get a sponsor at the break. And if not, just go to some more meetings. And I said, all right. And then she said, uh, do you want to know what the name of it is? And I said, I don't care what the name of it is. And we, I hung up. And I went to, that was my first meeting. I went to November 1st, 2003, at, um, and it was F.A., so I remember I walked into the room, and um, 8 o'clock seemed, I think it was 8 o'clock meeting. It just seemed like it was the crack of dawn. And uh, so in November, it was dark out. I guess it had been Halloween the night before, but I hadn't even celebrated that. I was just, it was, I thought that life couldn't have gotten any worse. And I walked into the meeting with my head down. I didn't look at anybody. I kind of just looked to find a chair and kind of in the middle of the room, and I didn't want anyone talking to me. And um, I, listened, I sat through the first part of the meeting. I have no clue what they said. At the break, a, a woman uh, raised her hand that said she was available to sponsor, and she had purple hair. And I thought, why not? You're here. You know, just go get the purple-haired lady and um, have her be your sponsor. And so I did, and she was so nice. And I walked up, and um, 
she said, oh, we'll get you started. And she was so nice, and she took a piece of paper, and she goes, this is what you'll eat. And she told me, and she wrote it down for me. And she goes, and then you'll go to the store, and you can buy this today. And she was so nice. And I was just looking at her going, lady, you're crazy. Just hand me that piece of paper, and I'm out of here. And, but she was so nice. And she goes, and then write your food down and call me, and tell, and call me in the morning and tell me what you're going to eat. And I thought she was completely whacked. And so, but I had no alternative either. So I sat through the rest of the meeting. I grabbed the piece of paper and I went to the store and I bought some food. And, and um, that night I wrote something down and I called her the next morning. And I had no hope or faith that it would work. And I, that's what I ate that day. And the next day I called her and I did the same thing. And I really, and I went to meetings, I fought everything you know, the three committed meetings a week, you know, why do we have to do that? I'm another 12-step program, and I go to a lot of meetings. They're not necessarily three, but, you know, rah, 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 rah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was new to sponsoring. She'd say, well, I don't know. I guess I'll have to check with my sponsor and get back to you. And, and I think I almost liked pushing her around, you know, and, um, but I just questioned everything. And then she'd scurry off to ask her sponsor, and so I'd get a few more days doing what I was doing before she got back to me with a word from her sponsor of why I couldn't do that. And... But mainly nothing made sense to me, but I kept staying abstinent. But I didn't understand all these rules and regulations, but I kept staying abstinent. And um, at the end of the first month, I had lost 18 pounds. And that got my attention because I hadn't lost 18 pounds in years. You know, even with Atkins and Weight Watchers, I could only get a few pounds off before. So the 18 pounds got my attention. And I kept doing it, but I wasn't doing the tools. And she would keep encouraging me that I needed to do the tools. And I'd think, well, why? And then, I don't know. I'll go talk to my sponsor and come back. (laughs) And so um, the next month, I lost 15 pounds. And then I had 33 pounds into it in 60 days. And that really got my attention again. And at the end of 90 days, I had lost another 15 pounds. So I had 48 pounds going into at 90 days. And I thought, this is impressive. This is impressive. The other thing was no one noticed. And I remember telling my husband, I've lost almost 50 pounds and no one noticed. He goes, oh, honey, when you're as big as we are, you've got to lose 70 or 80 before anyone to notice. <laughs> and I remember that. I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And I, I was, again, I was in denial that I was that big. And um, so I kept on with it. But as I kept going to meetings, I started to hear things. And, um, and I would hear people that had work that had they would sit in the front row and they would do all the tools and they would do their quiet time and they'd read a left hand and a right hand page of the big book and they'd get on their knees in the morning I mean they just and I think oh I'm never going to be one of those and um but I thought there was this food plan and then then I thought there was a marine drill sergeant that invented all the tools and that was just something that some jerk person invented while we were losing weight. And I didn't see any correlation between the two. I did, I did not. I thought I had a food problem. I did not know I had a problem of um, a mental and spiritual problem and an inability to get along with other human beings. And I think that's the most important thing for me that I've gotten out of this program is as I started to tell my... That sponsor had a break and I got another sponsor. And then she had a break and I got another sponsor that I have today. And through being able to say, I don't want to do those tools, and being honest with my sponsors, they would tell me why it was important to do them and encourage me to do them, and I started doing the tools. 
And now, today, I do every tool, every day, to the best of my ability. And I know it's only in doing those tools that I feel like I can right the ship. Like, I need to do that to keep the sails up and keep going. I have to say what's going on with me because I'm filled with fears and doubts and insecurities that I never even knew I had. I thought I just ate a lot. I had no idea I ate over every feeling because I couldn't walk through whatever situation I was in without eating. And all those feelings are still there, and I have to talk about them. I have to talk about every insecurity I have, and I have lots. And um, I have to talk about all my anxiety. I have to talk about every fight I have with my husband in detail so I can look at myself and um, learn what I do in relationships. You know, um, those kids in those pictures, the little boy that's in those pictures, he graduated from college last week. And, um, you know, I'm blessed. I've loved my kids. I've loved them ever since, you know, they were born. I've loved them in teenage years. And, and he's, moving, he's moving to Cincinnati um, to follow his love. And when he told me, I just cried. I was so thankful. I live in California, and he went to college in California, and I, I was grateful to God that he did because I thought, oh, maybe he's going to live in California. And I had that pretty much dialed in, I thought, and then he fell in love with somebody that for today lives in Cincinnati. And, um, and I cried when he told me, and he said, Mom, are you mad? And I said, no, I'm just processing. I said, you're doing exactly what you need to do. I said, are you in love? And he said, I think so. And I told him what I, love was like for me, and he said, yeah, that's kind of what I've got. And I said, so you just want to play it out? And he said, I just want to play it out and see where it's going to go. And I said, okay, and I hung up and cried some more. And then I prayed, and I thought, I think God's big enough to keep my family together and close no matter where we live. And I've never, that's not the way I think before. Before I would have manipulated and tried to get him to stay home or cried for weeks, and yet I know he's doing exactly what he needs to do. And now we talk about it, and he's got some job um, things he's looking at in Cincinnati, and I'm helping him with the plan. You know, I encourage him. and, And, you know, that's not the way I would have reacted to something a long time ago. And, um, you know, I still have the same husband I married back in 1988. I can't can't add up the years real quickly, but I think I would have blown up that relationship if I hadn't been in this 12-step program. I need to learn all the time, you know, how to deal with people. Because even falling in love like I did is madly in love. Over time, people bug me, you know, and all of a sudden I started to see his defects instead of his assets. But when I take time to remember what I fell in love with, he still has every one of those assets. And um, when I focus on the assets, that's what expands. And when I focus on his problems, I see myri- they grow. <laughs> they grow, and then it becomes overwhelming. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for the life I have today, and I know that it's not a food problem that I have. You know, And the only way to stay away from the food is to do every tool every day and to talk about all those things going, all the little ghosts and goblins inside me uh, is to talk to my sponsor about it and have her guide me and show me how I can react to life differently and walk through things without that fear and anxiety. So I think it's time for... Would you all please join me in a moment of silence and a serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change 
the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.